0: welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast enjoy the message Billy Calderwood come on Thank open you up your so hearts. I uh, <laughs> I t- I took my my kids they're they're all teenagers I took them to the town that I grew up in. anybody know where Shandon California is yeah if you go to if you go up to 101. Hit Paso Robles, you go east toward the Central Valley about 20 miles. Um, don't blink. You'll drive right past it. But even when I grew up there, people from Paso Robles would like mock us. They're like, oh, you're from Shandon. <laughs> it was just not a cool place to be from. Um, so I took my kids there and, you know, now, then I moved to L.A. I mean, you know, like, it's, it's culture shock to come to L.A. when you're from a little town. I'd lived in like the L.A. area for a long time. And uh, you know, I come walking into a mall one time, and the lady at the kiosk was like, look, she looked me up and now saw what I was wearing was like, "Where are you visiting from?" I'm like, "I live here." <laughs> anyway, but I didn't fit in, and you know it was super I mean, I grew up in a town. They had burn barrels, like you know what everybody have a burn barrel. Before there was trash service, or even if you did have trash service, nobody trusted the trash service. So you just got an old 55-gallon oil drum. From the oil fields out in Kettleman City or Fresno, Bakersfield somewhere, you put that thing in your side yard and you just burn your trash in it. I swear, our neighborhood, like on an average Thursday afternoon, it looked like a rock after desert storm. It was just belching black smoke everywhere. It was terrible. And then you turn on your air conditioner and just suck it all into your house. Anyway, it's it It's awful. Anyway, that's that the town I grew up in, but I have great memories, so I took my kids there, and we're driving through town, and I'm like, oh, that's why I used to ride my bike, and my kids are, they're from L.A., I mean, they're all born, and you know, they live in Burbank now, so my, my, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and it was my daughter with legitimate concern. She's like, if she touched me while we were driving. I said, Dad,
1: I'm so Sorry. But now, I understand.
0: (laughs) Speaking of my family, I think I got a photo. This is my wife, Kristen. Um, Next to me is my son, Jeremiah. He just graduated from Musicians Institute with his AA in music and drum performance. So Pastor B paved the way. And I'm glad my son plays drums in church. My middle daughter, Emma, uh, she's taking classes at Life Pacific College, currently uh, working as my personal assistant, planning for a future in ministry. And my youngest, Bella, uh, she's a junior in high school and does some acting. And my lovely wife, Kristen, uh, one of the things that Pastor B may not have told you is that he's the first person ever to offer me a job in ministry. I was about 20 years old, and I was serving at the Santa Maria Foursquare Church. I had done their residency. I had been a volunteer youth pastor at a little vineyard church, and I had moved back to Santa Maria, and, and Pastor Bernie sought me out one day when I was about 20 years old, um, and he offered me a job in ministry. Oh, by the way, I think I have another photo of my family. Can I show that? Can says that's the real photo? Behind every fake photo, there's a real photo? This is my daughter's giving me serious shade because I don't know how to take a proper selfie. So anyway, raising teenagers is a blast. Uh <laughs> I love my kids, I love my family. So I think I got a picture of how I look when Pastor B first sought me out. Uh, That was my first real date with my wife. It was back in my Legends of the Fall phase. You can tell she had the perfect Julia Ormond hair and I was trying unsuccessfully to look like Brad Pitt. Um, (laughs) uh, I just realized that cool was not something I brought to the table. So I just got off of that. I'm like, I need to reconcile with my Shandon roots and forget about being cool. Anyway, but I was about 20 years old, and Pastor Bernie sought me out, and he just said, Billy, you've got, you've got two things that are going for you. First of all, you love Jesus, and Jesus loves you. Because, the second of all, right now, you have a good name. People speak about the, the sense that they've got, you've got a call in your life. And he said, No matter what you do, keep following Jesus. And also, don't ever do anything to destroy your good name. That matters. It matters. And that advice stayed with me. Pastor Bernie offered me a job in ministry. I turned him down because of the woman that you saw in that picture. She was already the pa- a pastor at another church. She was on the pastoral staff of another church, so I married her. My first job in ministry, my first year in ministry, was being the pastor's husband. I mean, oh, it's a good, it's an important job, being a pastor's husband. God may call you to do that. Um, and so I turned Pastor Bernie down and didn't end up coming to Lompoc and working with him. But his encouragement and his belief and what he spoke to me during that time profoundly impacted my life. And for the last 25 years, Pastor Bernie has been a voice of encouragement in my life um, in profound ways, always speaking. How many of you know your pastors are really encouraging, dude? And uh, so we were. We went on staff in 1998 at the Santa Barbara Foursquare Church, was the youth pastor and the worship leader there. Kristen was on staff there as well. Um, in 2004, we planted a church in Isla Vista, California. So right in the backdrop of UCSB, we met in Isla Vista School Um, My wife ran a theater program there for kids, and we led a lot of people to the Lord there. And since 2010, we've been serving as the pastors of Media City or the Burbank Foursquare Church. Um, And then for the last two years, I've had the privilege of working uh, with our district uh, church planters, and it's been an incredible joy. But none of that journey would have been the same, especially when you take it on. I started senior pastoring a month after I turned 28 years old. I remember being scared. I remember being intimidated. But I remember this man getting on the phone. On a regular basis. Hey, Billy, how you doing? Oh, is that, Pastor Bernie always talks like every high school coach I ever had. Like he's he got high appearance, like he's been yelling at players all day. He's like, get, get out there. You can do it. You're going to be great. And God, I would love, I would see, you know, there's some people when they call you, you're like, ignore. <laughs> Pastor Bernie's calling. I'd trip over myself to answer. Because I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get encouraged. This is going to be great. I'm just so thankful for this man's encouragement, for his belief, and for his mentoring um, over many years, even sometimes at a distance. God has blessed my life, and I know he's blessed all of your life with him. Can I just say it's such a joy to be here? Pastor Bernie, an honor to be here. I, I know. I know what you bring in the pulpit every Sunday, and it's amazing to be standing in here, and that this is like, this is where the, the, the glory happens, right? This is like the, oh sit here and I'm just enjoying it. Um, you guys have had you guys are amazing people. Wayne Cordero's here all the time. You are really scraping the bottom of the barrel today. I am telling you. <laughs> anyway, but it's so good to be with you, um, and it was so great to be with your men. I am going to go home uh, with a spirit and a heart that is full, and probably with diabetes <laughs> from all that amazing gravy. It was just fantastic. I'm excited to share a passage of Scripture with you today, and I don't think this passage of Scripture is going to be unfamiliar to you. And I want to read it to you quickly, uh, and then we're going to do a couple of things with it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity and restore your fortunes. When I have five minutes to preach on this passage, these are the three points that I use. The first one is that God's plans are good. Anybody think thankful that God's plans for you are good? God is a good God. We sing about it today. We can trust him. His plans are always good. No matter we're walking, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter if the day is dark, if the day is long, God is good. Anybody? Anybody? God is good and his plans are always good. Second thing we find out in this brief passage of scripture is that when we seek God, he listens to us. How many of you know that even in the times when it feels like God is quiet, he hears you? There is no point when your God is not attentive to your cry. And if we seek him, he's gonna listen to us and thirdly, if we seek God, he's going to take us from wherever it is that we are to wherever we need to go. He says, I'm going to bring you from captivity, I'm going to restore you to the land where you're supposed to be, ultimately. How many think that's a great promise? That's a great promise. Let me say a few things about, about this today. Um, I want to give you a little background on this story. God gives this promise to Israel at a particular time in her history, the people of Israel were rescued out of Egypt. Moses calls down all these plagues. That would have been amazing to be there for. I, don't, I would probably freak out if I saw that many frogs in one place. But still, amazing to see. God rescues his people from Israel. He puts them in a promised land, and he says, you're going to be a light to the nations, I'm doing all of this with you so that the nations will know that I am the Lord. Israel was supposed to be, uh, uh, to tell the story of the one true God and how awesome he was so other nations would come to know him. But Israel, how many know Israel as a nation kept screwing up? They kept falling away from God's purposes. And at this particular time when Jeremiah is writing this prophetic message to Israel, it is after they have really messed up. I mean, you done messed up, A.A. Ron, like really bad messed up. There's three people under 20 that know what I'm talking about when I reference that. God bless you. You know who you are. But God's people have really fallen. They've really, really fallen far. So God says you're going to be a light to the nations. Israel starts to just worship all the gods around them and no longer has any of the uniqueness of Yahweh with them anymore. Secondly, God had called them to love and to serve, to care for the broken, to care for the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to love people, right? And they begin to oppress people brutally brutally and horribly. They begin to take slaves from their own Israelite people again. They begin to fall so much into economic Uh, oppression and injustice and brutality and slavery. Third, Israel was always called to pass on to the next generation who God is. I mean, that was so important. Again and again and again and again to Moses and to Joshua, they would give commands to Israel, always teach the next generation. And one of the scariest passages in the Bible is right after Joshua died, and it happens in Judges chapter 2, and it says, after Joshua and that generation died, a new generation rose up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done from Israel. There are some older people in this room. You have got to find some young people and tell them the story about what God's done in your life. They need to know God is not a belief system, but a person. They need to know God is not a morality code, but he is a powerful interventionist in the lives of young people who are seeking him. Right? There are young people that are turned off to God, turned off to the church, because they feel like it's a bunch of rule keeping when the true God of the Bible is calling them up and saying, I want to send you on some adventures, and I want to move in your life with my power. I mean, we got to start telling that story. we got to start, start telling that story. But Israel had failed to tell that story, As a matter of fact, Israel began to take their own children and sacrifice them, burning infant children in the fire in sacrifices to pagan gods. And after a while, God said, enough. Did you know sometimes you can persist in an evil way and God will just say, enough. Enough. God says, I'm gonna end this. So he allows the Babylonian army to conquer Israel and take away a bunch of people captive. But I want you to think about this. Even after all of this sin, even after all of this rebellion, even after all of this disgusting and brutal behavior, God still speaks to his people now in exile, now in captivity. And what does he say? I know the
1: plans. There are still plans for you. There are still plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I want to speak to people in this room and you screwed up. You look in the rearview mirror
0: over the last maybe year of your life. You got a lot of stuff that you feel ashamed of. Maybe there's some people here, you got stuff in the last few days you feel ashamed of. You feel like I've broken God's law, I've broken God's heart. How many know that what God's word for you today is? My plans for you are still good. My plans for you are good. I've got plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. Some of you may be in this room today and you've been running from God. You've not necessarily had a life that is all surrendered, at all surrendered to the plans and purposes of God. And you've been trying to do it on your own and you've been trying to do it your own way. And God says, today's the day to give up your way for my way. I mean, that's what repentance is. Repentance is not to feel sorry. Repentance is to give up your way for God's way. And say, God, you're right about everything. We're going to do things your way now. There's people in this room today, you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to say yes to God's plans for your life. Give up your way for his way and trust him. How many know his plans are always good? And I want to tell you, no matter what's in your rear view, God can forgive and God can transform. And the last thing is, not only does God listen to us, but God will get you where you need to go. Some of you are like, man, I'm in a place in my life where I just feel like I have so far to go. How many know the Lord is not intimidated? by the journey that's in front of you. As a matter of fact, he can get you where you need to go. Anybody thankful for that? Anybody thankful for that? Amen. If you're here today and you need to say yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do something. This is the way things happen here at LSC. But if you're here and you need to commit your life to Jesus today, right after the service, I want you to stand underneath that cross. There are some incredibly kind, wonderful, generous people who are just going to pray for you today. And they're going to give you some information today that's going to encourage you. And then I want you to keep coming back to this church. You're not here on accident today. You're here for a reason. You're here because you needed to hear this today. You needed to hear about the God who loves you. You needed to hear about the God who's got great plans for your life. Anybody thankful for this? Mm. But what I want to do before we're done today is I want to zoom back out from just 11, from just this one passage. And I want to look at at what God is saying to his people in the whole chapter Starting in verse 1. Can I read this to you real quick? And then we're going to talk about it just real quickly. It says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. So all the mucky mucks, all the people with influence and authority had been deported. Jeremiah is still in the land of Israel, and he's writing a prophetic letter to the people that are now in captivity. Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. They're in Babylon. He's writing them a letter, and here's what he says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days, you will pray. I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. And I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Here's the interesting thing. How would you feel if we here in our state, in our nation, were conquered by a foreign power? enslaved, taken captive to another land that we've never known and forced to live there for 70 years. That would not feel great. And the people of Israel, you know how the prophet Jeremiah says, stop listening to lies. What were the lies? The lies were false prophets saying, oh, we're not going to be in Babylon long. Don't build anything. Don't plant anything. We're getting out of here. Don't worry about making Babylon a better place. We're not, this isn't our home. We're going back home to Israel, and we're going back home in a hot second. And so don't make any investments in Babylon. We got to go home. And God says, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. As a matter of fact, if you want to prosper, you need to build houses, you need to plant gardens, you need to multiply, and and you need to be ready for it. Because 70 years from now, you need to be a strong nation with kids and grandkids and great-grandkids who know and love Yahweh, who are ready to come back and reestablish the nation of Israel. But how many know you don't lose your identity just because God moved your geography? Right? Right? Who you are on the inside is who God says you are. And he says, you haven't been on mission with me in Israel. Now I'm going to send you to Babylon. You're going to be on mission with me in Babylon. Man, when I moved to Hollywood area, to Burbank, to Media City, like all these people were like, oh, the devil is there. You know what I mean? Hollywood is just evil. And I'm like, Shandon wasn't that awesome either. Let's just be real. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we had a lot of people doing real dumb stuff there, right? How many know everybody, God sends Christians everywhere? There's no inch of this planet Earth that Jesus doesn't say, it's mine. There's no place on this planet that God has just abandoned to evil and said, ah, forget about that place. How many know God sends his people everywhere? Now, here's the thing that's amazing. God's people were in Babylon, and God said, I want you to make a difference in Babylon. I know so many Christians that they just can't wait to go to heaven. They're like, oh, we got to get out of here. Planet Earth is falling apart. And, you know, they're just, they get so excited anytime any end time news happens. Like, ooh, the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming. That's exciting because maybe it means the return of Jesus is closer. Are they building anything? No. Are they planting anything? No. Are they making a difference in their community? No, they're just reading the prophecy blogs. I mean, who we're gonna, oh it's gonna be Armageddon. Armageddon. They mm. get excited about it. Armageddon out of here as fast as I can. Right? They just can't wait. Um, I, I grew up in the church long enough that I've heard a lot of different opinions about who the Antichrist was gonna be. Like, you know, at one point the Antichrist was gonna be Elvis. I got a letter in the mail the other day that said uh, it was a conspiracy theorist who felt like they had heard from God that President Donald Trump has already been assassinated and has been replaced with a robot, and that robot is going to be the Antichrist. And I'm like, it was a seven-page letter, handwritten, sent to me at the church. I'm like, who has the time? Who has the time? I'm like, go out and serve some kids in your community. We're hoping that the world comes to an end. How many know Jesus said he is coming, he is coming back? But until then, he says, He says, night is coming when no one can work. But until then, we have to do the work of him who sent me. I love Christians that are like, Jesus will come back when he's good and ready. Right now, there's hungry people in my neighborhood. Let's get to them. Right? I love Christians that, are, that, that embrace where God's called them to live. If God's called you to live somewhere that is crazy that you never thought you would go, praise God, He's got good for you there. The people of Israel wanted good, but they only wanted it in the land of Israel. And God says, No, I want good for you too, but I'm going to do good for you in the land of Babylon. And I'm going to show the Babylons who I am, the Babylonians who I am. Wow, that's really different. Um, I remember, yeah. In high school, Gorbachev was going to be the Antichrist. Somebody told me the Pope was going to be the Antichrist. And then, you know, popular musicians, they, 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 I was told the popular musicians was going to be the Antichrist. It's going to a real conservative youth group, and they didn't want anybody, anybody listening to rock and roll music. So, you know, Black Sabbath comes out with a new album, Ozzy Osbourne's going to be the Antichrist. He tore the head off a dove in a radio interview, and he's going off the rails on a crazy train. Like you can't, kids, you're, the devil's going to possess your soul if you listen to Black Sabbath. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Did anybody remember when Ozzy Osbourne did a reality show on MTV? Right, it was called the Osbournes. And poor Ozzy, like I started to feel bad for him. Like I thought he was this really, you know, totally hardcore, like rock and roll dude. And then by the time it got to his reality show, like there was a whole episode where it was him shuffling around the house trying to find his shoes. (laughs) Satan, oh, Satan was my shoes. And I'm like, this poor man is not organized enough to be the Antichrist. (laughs) I started to feel bad for him. I'm like, my youth pastor was wrong. (laughs) I saw my favorite episode ever of the Osbournes was when they start talking about how they missed their previous next-door neighbor. And I remember one time, Jack Osborne says to his dad and his mom, he said, you know, Pat Boone was the best neighbor we ever had. I know Pat Boone was a Christian singer in the 70s and 80s, and he did these, like, soft, easy listening radio hits. But when he moved in next to Ozzy Osbourne, they started hanging out. Guy who deeply loved Jesus, hanging out with the Prince of Darkness. And Ozzy Osbourne invited him over to his recording studio in his house, and he said, hey Pat, you know what would be fun? We should do heavy metal covers of all your easily listening Christian tunes from the 70s and the 80s. And you know what Pat Boone did? He goes, Ozzy, let's make an album. And I saw him on Jay Leno one time, and he came out with no shirt on, Pat Boone, no shirt on and a black leather vest and leather pants to promote his metal album. And Christians lost their minds. Christians were like, what is Pat Boone doing? This is the devil. You know what I mean? Everybody sounds like, I grew up with Christians It all sounded like Bobby Boucher's mama. From the water boy. That is the devil. Like everything was the devil. I'm like, is anything not the devil? Anyway, so there were all these Christians were like blowing up on Pat Boone. And it was so amazing. I remember what I heard Pat Boone say to Jay Leno. He said, You know why I did this metal album? He goes, the excuse to f- spend time with my good friend Ozzy Osbourne and my next door neighbor. And when Pat Boone moved, the entire Osbourne family said, We never had a neighbor like Pat Boone. How many know God might move you next to the prince of darkness, a heavy metal star, a Muslim, an atheist? God might move you next to anybody in, who just needs to know his love. And Christians got to stop being so escapist. How many know Jesus will come back? Our, our citizenship is in heaven, and he'll come take us back when he's good and ready. In the meantime, we got to be doing everything we can to make a difference in the neighborhood where God's called us. Anybody, right? I'm so thankful for that. Three things I want to tell you about this passage of scripture, number one, give up your plans for God's plans. God does want to bless you, but he might not bless you where you think you want to go. I never had plans to move to Hollywood. I never had plans to move to the San Fernando Valley. I used to live up in this neck of the woods. I get up here, I still miss it. I miss the open green spaces. I miss the cows. I miss the ocean. I mean, no, God needs people in Burbank. God needs people in Hollywood. I don't know where God's called you to be. You might be in a job that you don't love. You might be in a situation that's not your favorite. But God says, listen, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you where I want you. And I'm asking you to surrender your plans for my plan. Some of you are in a job right now that you don't love. You're like, God, I'd love to get out of this job. My boss is kind of a jerk. And God says, I got plans for you there. I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you there. There will be a time I might move you, but right now, you have unfinished business there. So many times, we're standing at the edge of the fence looking around, oh, the grass is so much greener other places. Where's the grass really greener? Where you water it. And God says, I get that you have a vision for more than your life is right now. I get that you're looking at some other territory, but before you just come to the edge of the fence and stare off at how much better it would be everywhere else, what if you finish what I called you to do here? I got a job for you in your workplace. I got a job for you with your coworkers. I got a job for you in your apartment complex. I got a job for you in your neighborhood. I got a job for you right where I called you. You're going to be salt and light. You're going to bring the kingdom of God there. Anybody think that's good? We got to give up our plans for God's plans. Secondly, we're called to love and serve everywhere God might call us, anywhere God has us. I love when I checked into my hotel room, I had a gift bag from Pastor B and the team here at Lompoc Foursquare. It said it had LSC on it. It had this great big logo that said love and serve. I've had so much fun, not just hanging out with all of you men the last couple of days, but spent all yesterday afternoon and evening. Bernie bought me an enormous steak from the hitching post, which I, I barely stood up this morning. I got up, and I'm like, Jesus, help me. It was amazing. I'm, I'm seriously going home. 15 pounds heavier after the weekend. But we drove around this city and I'm telling you we couldn't I couldn't drive 3 or 4 blocks with this man before he would point out some place in this city that's made different because of this church over the last 15, 20 years. is like, well, you know, and then, you know, a number of years back we did this project and here's the place where we do the, the big game party after the big game and here's something that we built and here's something that we invested in and here's a neighborhood that we cleaned up and here's some people whose lives that we changed and I'm like, are you kidding me? It's amazing. Lompoc Church, Forest Road Church, you live this stuff. You live this love and serve wherever God's called you to. And I want to tell you that I'm here to affirm it. I'm here to bless it, but I'm also here to tell you you're going to have even more impact. There's people whose generosity in this church it's changing your city. Your church is having a huge impact in your city, and I want to encourage you and say yes, continue and right where God's called you to live. You're going to love and you're going to serve and you're going to make a huge difference. Work for the peace and prosperity. Of the city where I sent you. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. How many know we're going to stay busy doing what Jesus has called us to do, and he'll come get us when he's good and ready? Here's the thing that you don't want to do, Christians. How many of the first disciples, when Jesus ascended the first time, what did they do? You saw that, right, Peter? That was cool. Cloud came down. Elevator Jesus. Right up. They were so impressed and they missed him. So, what were they still doing 30 minutes later?
1: What did God have to do? He had
0: to send angels. Hey, you guys. Hello, right here. Look at me right here. Jesus left, he is going to come back. Like he said, in a manner similar to the way that you saw him leave. In the meantime, what are you doing here? Staring into the sky. I swear to God, there are more Christians staring into the sky saying, I just want Jesus to come back. And the angel, if he could get your attention, would say, stop staring into the sky like an idiot. Go get filled with the Holy Spirit and make some neighborhood different. Jesus will come back when he's good and ready. Right? Part of the reason that young people don't like the church today is because we tell them to sit in church and be good And not do anything scary or dangerous or adventurous and just wait for Jesus to come back. I'm 17 years old and you preach that message to me, I'm out. I want to go on adventures for the Lord. I want to get filled with the Holy Spirit and do something dangerous. I want to go somewhere where maybe it isn't that safe. I want to go someplace where maybe God needs me and I've got a difference to make, right? Right? So don't be staring in the sky. I love that this church is, is so about the mission of Jesus. Like, yeah, Lord, I'm excited you're coming back. But, man, we're going to love and serve our city. We're going to love and serve our city. This is a church that lives with its sleeves rolled up doing this stuff. And it's amazing to watch. And I'm inspired. I hang out with Pastor B, and I'm like, I'm going back. and like, we're going to adopt, like, 20 more schools. <laughs> Last thing I want to say that comes to us in this passage is, is about equipping the next generation. Does marry and have children find spouses for them so they may have grandchildren? Multiply, do not dwindle. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised, and I will bring you home again. Some of you are really familiar with the stories of the later generations of Israelites led by people like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, but he had a vision to rebuild Jerusalem. So he asks God for favor and God sends him with money, he sends him with horses, he sends him with soldiers. He comes back to the ruined city of Jerusalem and in 52 days rebuilds the wall. Why was
1: Nehemiah ready for that assignment? Because he had
0: a great great grandfather who got this scroll from Jeremiah and said, "Hey, you're going to be in Jerusalem, you're going to be in Babylon for a while." Not for 70 years are y'all gonna come back. So what you need to do is you need to build and plant and seek the prosperity of Babylon. And you need to raise a son who's gonna get married to somebody who's gonna give you a grandson who you're gonna teach about the ways of the Lord. How many know that we don't know the name
1: of Nehemiah's father or the name
0: of Nehemiah's grandfather or the name of of Nehemiah's great, great grandfather, but there is a reason that Nehemiah's generation was ready to take their opportunity in the Lord. Who are you called to invest in in the next generation? There are young people all around you, some of our older folks, if you're over 40 like me, It's time to start paying it forward to the next generation. You got to start telling your stories and letting people that are younger than you know who the Lord is and how powerful he is and what he's done for you and how he wants to hear them and answer their prayers. I want to say this a word to parents. We live in a society that continually seems to devalue the choice to be a parent the choice to sacrifice yourself for the next generation, the choice to raise children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We live in a world that's increasingly make, making women feel badly about making a choice not to be a professional but to be a mother. How many to you know that welcoming a child and discipling a child to love and follow Jesus is like the greatest thing you could do? Right, men and women. And we live in a world that's given us the lie that, you know, men are kind of the strong type and women are the nurturers. How many know, men, you are called to invest in the next generation. You are called to invest in the next generation. So I want to encourage you parents. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Your kids are only at church a little tiny fraction of the week. They're with you a lot of the time. Tell them who the Lord is. Pray for them fervently. Open the Bible together. Tell them a story of why you follow Jesus. Make sure that they know. Scariest passage in the Bible to me, Judges chapter 2. Joshua, who led the people into their promised land, says this, Joshua and his generation died, and then a new generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. If you're a parent, do your kids know the Lord? Do they know what God has
1: done in your life? As much
0: as I'd love to think that Jesus is going to come back within the next 20, 30 years, how I many know oh, people were saying that 300 years ago?
1: How are your children's children's
0: children's children going to make a difference in this world and be ready for their moment? in the spotlight when it comes. You're gonna have a huge amount to do that. I wanna talk really quickly to anybody who works with kids. Can you do me a favor? If you work with kids here in this church and you teach Sunday school or involved in youth ministries or something, would you stand up real quick? I just wanna acknowledge you guys. Would you stand up, you work with kids? Can we give it up for these people? You guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. I gotta tell you, as a senior pastor, I believe in this so much that two Sundays a year Two Sundays a year, I make sure that I am serving either in the children's ministry or the nursery. I let somebody else preach, and I'm just in the nursery with the kids. Last time I was in the nursery, it was epic, because there's this little kid named Benjamin. He's not yet two years old. He's in our nursery, and he was like a little bit like, I don't know. He's like giving me a little side eye. He's like, hmm, I don't know about you. Went and played with some of his toys, looked at me from the other side of the room. Hmm, I guess you're okay. So he we went and found his favorite book. It was a book about David and Goliath. He brought it over to me handed to me, told me to sit down. I sat down. He sat on my lap. He opened the book and was like, go, like go. And so I'm like, okay, he really wants me to read this story to him. And I'm so excited that this kid's going to, you know, fall in love with the Bible. So I'm like, oh man, I'm going to do some voices. So like Goliath comes out and I'm like, I am the Philistine champion. Kid's
1: like, So I kept reading and after a while he goes,
0: points to a different character, points to David. And so I started reading David's lines and I could tell he, do, he wants me to do a voice for everybody in the book. So I'm like, hi, I'm David. And I'm like, oh my God, my David sounds like Mickey Mouse. Ah, oh boy. So I'm like, I can't do that, <laughs> you know, but I only do three voices. I do like the evil villain and I do Mickey and I do Goofy. Oh <laughs> gosh, like that's it. I'm played out. That's all my thing. But he keeps pointing, right? So I do the David voice, and I come up with a voice for David. And, I'm a, and then he just points to some random Philistine soldier. He's like. He points to Saul. So I'm like, I got to come up with something for Saul. He's like a main character. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So then Saul says, I, lad, I'm going to put you in my armor. I'm gonna send you out to fight this accursed Philistine. And I'm like, okay, Saul sounds like Captain Barbosa from the Pirates of the Caribbean. Kid doesn't know all these things. He points to the random Philistine soldier, and I'm like, I just gave him a New Jersey accent. I'm like, bada bing, I'm out here, we're fighting these Philistines, whatever. And like, you know, here comes this kid with his slingshot, forget about it. And like, so I'm doing all this stuff. We're in deep. Like, I've got like backstories for every Philistine soldier. Like, we're in deep. And I'm like, oh gosh, I got. I just got to keep moving along with the story. But by that time, all the other kids in the nursery are walking. I have this little girl with her little dolly, she's been kind of circling us for a while. Finally, she just slides in, puts down, looks at another character, goes, We're in so deep. I don't realize church is over. <laughs> and parents have come to pick up their kids in the nursery, and they're all by the check in area, but they're all standing there just staring. With their mouths open, they're like, Is that Pastor Billy? Like, it's been 15 minutes after church, and parents are like, Oh my gosh, that. And then they're like raising their hand Hey, can you come and do bedtime story time at our house? This is amazing, right? But how many know it's so powerful for children to know, Listen, my pastor, men in my church want to come in and let me know that the Bible is powerful, that the Bible is important, and that the Bible can be fun. And they feel invested in. I want to say thank you to all of you men and women who do that. Give it up for them one more time. <laughs> you don't have to do the voices. Well, you know, it's kind of fun. is close closest I'm going to be to being an actor, so it's good. I want to close with one final story. Um, I'm named after a long line of... Uh, a lot of preachers in this country named Billy and uh, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. And I remember my grandma used to tell me about that all the time. Like, I, you know, his grandson, you got a call on your grandson. She was, she was a gimme the sugar lady. Um, she was from Rocky Creek, Mississippi, but she used to talk about that. And I began to think, well, maybe I do have a call on my life. And I remember one time a prophet, a uh, guy that spoke from God, his name was Dick Mills. He's been around Foursquare for a long, long time. I know Pastor B knows him. He, he's pointed to me when I was about 19 years old in a church service. And he said to me, Billy, you are going to be used by God as an evangelist. I'm like, wow, that's exciting. Someone I don't even know just called me out of a group this size and said, there's a call in my life. And then he said, Billy, I got good news for you. You're going to heaven and you're going to take 10,000 people with you. And the whole church went, oh, that's amazing. And you know what I did? I'm like, didn't Billy Graham lead like 100 million people to Jesus or something like that? I'm on 10,000. That's a ripoff. Are you kidding me? Like I left church. I was leaving church and all these little old ladies are like, oh, that's wonderful. You're going to lead 10,000 people to Jesus. Oh, get off me. I'm out of here. This is a ripoff. I went home. My mom could tell you I was mad. I was pissed. I was, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that in church, but I was. I was so mad. And I'm like, Billy Sunday led millions of people to Jesus. Billy Graham led millions of people to Jesus. I was all ready for Graham out, Calderwood in, changed the world for Jesus. I'm at 10,000. I'm so ticked off. And then my mom helped me gain some perspective and just said, you know, maybe you're going to disciple all those people and they'll all go win 10,000 for Jesus. But I realized something has happened to me over the last few years. Has God changed a little bit who my heroes are? I want you to raise your hand if you've ever heard the name Billy Graham before today. I want you to raise your hand again if you've ever heard the name Henrietta Mears. We've got a few. Let me read a quick story as I close. Henrietta Cornelius Mears was born in Fargo, North Dakota on October 23rd. It happens to be my birthday. In 1890, at a fairly young age, she discovered her life's purpose of challenging young people into leadership and developing the leadership potential in them. She was a director of Christian education at a church, helped to found the Gospel Light Publication Company and Forest Home Christian Conference Centers. Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, said that she was my teacher long before she had ever heard who I was. I began my work among young people in 1933, and I read everything she wrote and listened to everyone who could tell me about her. I tried to do my best the way Henrietta Mir showed me how to do things. Founded Young Life, the organization. Dr. Billy Graham claims that his evangelistic ministry was transformed through mirrors. He says, she has had a remarkable influence, both directly and indirectly, on my life. In fact, I doubt if any other woman outside my wife and mother has had such a marked influence. Her gracious spirit, her profound devotional life, her steadfastness for the simple gospel, her knowledge of the Bible have been a continual inspiration and amazement to me. She has been a mentor and certainly one of the greatest Christians that I have ever known. Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, says of her, Dr. Henrietta Mears was truly one of the great women of the 20th century and one of the greatest influences of my life. She directly discipled hundreds of young men and women whom God led into full-time Christian ministry. Today, no doubt, thousands of additional disciples whom she influenced and whom they influenced are in turn influencing millions of other people to Christ. Did you know that as I've gotten a little older, I've changed the scorecard for my life? I don't care if anybody knows my name. I bet you Nehemiah's great-great-grandfather didn't care if anybody knew his name. But he stayed in Babylon and did what he was called to do, and he influenced a generation that influenced a generation that influenced a generation that changed the world. I'm not interested in being the next Billy Graham. I don't think I have that type of grace on my life. But I'll tell you what, I'm inspired by this woman, Henrietta Mears. I certainly pray that God would allow me to influence a generation who would influence a generation who would influence a generation who would influence a generation. generation. I mean, that calls on the Lombard Four Square Church. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.